What's up, guys? My name is Chris, and I want to welcome you to Lifeline Community Church's Sermon Podcast. We're a church committed to inspiring people to follow Jesus further. We believe that everything in Scripture points towards Jesus, and no matter where you are in life, we believe everyone can find him. When we do find him, he leads us to a life that thrives. I hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Take care. So, like he said, I'm Jordan Eaton. Um, for y'all that don't know me um, or haven't seen me before, I'm usually in the back talking to the kids uh, back there. So I feel like I'm ready for this. Um, I feel like they prepared me for this because with them, if you don't make it interesting enough, they're going to tell you. Like, they don't care. They're going to tell you. And also with them, if you don't make it interesting enough, the boys, you got two minutes before they break out in an all-out brawl. I'm serious. You, you think I'm kidding. I'm serious. Nah, y'all kids are perfect. I'm just kidding. They never get in fights. Nah, but I have a wonderful family and an absolutely gorgeous girlfriend. Um, but I have uh, an awesome family. I have two older brothers and an amazing little sister. Um, just a show of hands, has anybody grown up with two older brothers or two older sisters and you're the youngest of the two? Right? right okay, this couple. It's not a lot of fun, really. Um, on one occasion, I can remember my two brothers came up to me and said, hey, you want to play a game? So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, all right, we're going to play cops and robbers, but we're going to be the cops and you're going to be the robber. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I was just excited I got invited to play this time because they always played without me. So I was just excited. So they said, all right, you try to steal this item inside the house, and if you get it, you win. But if we catch you, we're going to put you in jail. So I was like, okay, all right, all right. So we start through a course of Ducking and dodging, I actually managed to get to the item, but they were ambushing me. So right when I got to it, I got hit with a, at the time, a combined 200 pounds from the both of them. <laughs> of course, I got tossed in the jail, but the jail wasn't really a jail. It was actually just our hearth where the fireplace was. So they set me up on top of there. So I could have got out whenever I wanted, but they said, if you ever want to play again, you better not get out. By, where else we got to let you out you can't get out by yourself so me I stood in there fearing an eternal ban from ever playing again so I stood in there and I stayed in there until my mom heard my sobs and finally got me out of the jail which just took me took me off of the hearth and set me down like what happened but if you don't believe me here's some pictures of what would have done down at the Eaton house on any given day that's a little blurry well, you can see, of course, two older brothers get the cowboy hats. I'm stuck with the fair oak cap, of course, you know. Didn't teach me how to put the holster on right. I don't know what I'm doing there. Um, I'm wearing all red, trying to hide. They give me red jacket, red clothes. They got the camo on, you know. You know, older brother stuff, but no, we definitely had some good times. It wasn't all bad. Before I get started, can somebody grab me a water? I forgot that when I get nervous, all the moisture from my mouth goes to my hands. Thank you, Cordell, which was actually really unfortunate when I was dating Samantha because as like ninth and 10th grade, when we first started dating, I'd go to hold her hand and it was like holding a waterfall. Like it was just sweat everywhere. And then I couldn't talk because I'm like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Also, when I'm nervous, I yawn. I'm a nervous yawner. So that really was not good in high school. Senior year, we went to state, 
everybody's getting excited, everybody's hyped up, I'm over here yawning, tears in my eyes, because I'm yawning so much, at the plate, wiping tears away from my eyes, trying to look, I'm yawning so much, so if I yawn, I promise I'm not tired, I'm just nervous, but like I was saying in that situation, sometimes it can be hard to love in that situation, when your brothers never come back for you, now granted, I was like four years old when this all went down, but I still didn't understand why they felt the need to never come back. But sometimes, I don't think we're going to figure it all out. And we weren't made to figure it all out. Because at the end of the day, if we truly believe that our God does in fact love us, then we, have, we don't have to understand the why all the time. Why is it so hard to love the guy across the street? Why is my boss so hard on me all the time? Why does my professor not care about how much work he gives out on a daily basis? And I think a couple of few, biggest few in today's society, for sure, is why do we have to love the people that think differently th- than us? Why are we called to love them? What about the people with different political views? We're still called to love and accept them. Why do we have to love them? Or well, for me, why do my clients have to nitpick my work? Like, yeah, there's a couple weeds I missed in the corner of your house, but you can overlook that. I feel like it's not going to kill you. I think sometimes at the end of the day, God wants us to do a lot less questioning and a whole lot more accepting. God made this very apparent to me about a month ago. I recently just got back from Bethel Camp. And for y'all that don't know what Bethel Camp is, it's a camp in uh, Clayhole, Kentucky. And I know you've never heard of Clayhole because it's in the absolute middle of nowhere. So if you don't have a GPS, you're getting lost for sure because you lose service. Um, but yeah, we just, I recently just got back from Bethel camp, and on the drive up there, me and Samantha usually try to go up there um, once a year for a week or two, and on the drive up there, she was conked out asleep, of course, it was just me in the road and my thoughts, but um, I just remember recalling the last year, and by Thursday or Friday, man, I just remember getting so exhausted, and I couldn't give 100% into every conversation, into every kid, every time. I just remember... Asking God, like, why? I know that's my human weakness coming through, and I know that you didn't design me to do that. So I just remember praying to him and just asking him, God, give me the strength to give in to these kids every time. Because I was going for two weeks this year, and if I couldn't make it through one, I knew I could make it through two. So I just remember asking God, give me the strength to pour into these kids every time. So the first week went by, and every week, after every week, all the staff and the counselors get together for a debrief. I just remember stopping and thinking, man, Lord, you were so faithful. I was able to reach kids I never would have. And sometimes, a lot of times, it feels like when we actually pray for stuff, during the time that God's answering the prayers, we can't see it until we look back and see, man, God, you were faithful. You were faithful. I think that's so important sometimes for us to take a look back and see God's faithfulness in this. So I say all that to get to this. I remember one day it was terribly hot, and I had just run into a pole. And you ask, you're like, Jordan, how do you run into a pole? Well, up there, we play dodgeball differently. So we throw dodgeballs, and if you get out, you go to the other side and stand on the other side, and you call for a ball from your teammates, and your teammates throw you a ball. And if you catch it, you're back in the game. So I'm over on the side. I'm calling for the ball, calling for the ball. Well, my co-counselor, she was a girl. That doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm just saying she was a girl. She throws it in the complete opposite direction, Right? And so the baseball player in me is tracking the ball, not looking here. So I'm tracking, I'm tracking. At this point, I'm running 100%. 
Well, in a baseball field, there's no swing sets. So I've been going to this camp for 10 years and completely forgot that swing set was there. This isn't no, like, average swing set. This is 1943 industrial forged swing set, right? Steel poles, everything. So I'm running, I'm tracking the ball. Boom. Every piece of that pole hit me in the shoulder. I hit it so hard, I cut a complete backflip in the air and landed on my face. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Samantha. She actually had the privilege to watch it all. But after that, I could not raise my hand above my head. And Bethel camp, about 60% of it is doing activities. Especially as a counselor, you try to do these activities with these kids to make an impact on them, play basketball with them, stuff like that. So I remember doing this, and I just went to chapel. I couldn't raise my hand above my head. I couldn't. I thought I was completely disengaged the whole week then. I thought God couldn't use me because I, couldn't, I had been developing this relationship with these kids on the basketball court the whole week. And I just remember going into chapel one week and laying it all on God. And just be like, why could you let, how could you let this happen to me? I was like, now I might be able to reach these kids. I prayed, I prayed, and you, I thought you were going to be faithful. I thought you were going to do this for me. I remember the day goes on, that same day goes on, and I was walking in the porch because I had nothing better to do. And so hot, man. It's so hot up there. It's humid. I remember while I was walking through, and I saw these three girls sitting on the bench. And like I said, 60% of Bethel camp is doing activities and stuff. For me, for 10 years, that was the 60% of Bethel camp that I, that I, I enjoyed. But the other 40%, actually, that I never noticed was there was craft times. There was times where people sat on the porch and just talked. But I was always doing something else. So I was walking on the porch, and I saw these three girls sitting on the bench. I felt the Holy Spirit just call to me and say, Jordan, just go sit by them girls. That was the last thing on my mind I wanted to do. I wanted to go into the staff lounge, into the AC, and throw a pity party for myself because I just ruined the last good joint I had on my body. But I ended up talking to them for a while. And it eventually led to them taking off with my hat. And if you know one thing about me that I hate the most, it's when people take my hat. But they ended up doing that. And as the week went on, I continued to develop a really good relationship with them. And I started to like them a whole lot more when they told me I looked like Noah Flynn. That's not him. That's me. <laughs> that's okay. We don't need to know who Noah Some people know who Noah Flynn is. He's a good-looking dude. Just know that. But anyway, on one of the nights, the pastor called us counselors up while he was preaching. And he said, y'all come to the altar and just sit down. So I did. It was the altar a lot like this, actually. So I sat down. And while he was preaching, he just told us, he said, be ready to pray for the kids as they come up. And so he begins um, to preach. And all these kids are going to the counselors. And I'm just sitting here like, okay. I, admit, I did nothing this week. Nobody's coming to me. They're going, all going to the other counselors. Until finally, them three girls came up. And when them three girls came up, like all the counselors, all the staff members kind of gasped a little bit because they had been nothing but trouble the whole week. One of them had a boyfriend or whatever. You know how middle school boyfriends go, and it was all, it was a mess. But them three girls walk up, nevertheless, and they come to me, and they say, Jordan, can you pray for us? I said, like, yeah, I can pray for y'all. What do y'all need prayer for? They're like, I don't know. Can you just pray for us? I was like, absolutely. So I prayed for them. And I don't know if that 
affected them like it affected me. But I just remember seeing God's faithfulness and being like, that's why. That's why. Later that night, then three girls would end up getting saved, actually. We serve such a faithful God. He honored my prayer and set up everything that needed to be set up. I just need to be faithful in that one moment. That one moment when I heard the Holy Spirit calling me and say, go sit with them at the events. I just need to be faithful in that one moment. He does honor our prayers. Now, I'm not saying he made me run into that pole. I don't think he did. But he knows me and he knows I do that. Right? I actually invited Coach Brock here. Thank you so much for coming, Coach Brock. But nobody knows my injuries more than Coach Brock all throughout high school. Um, he called me a frail man one time, and my dad loved it. Yeah. We were in the dugout one time, and he's like, yeah, that Jordan Eaton. He's, we actually just beat Seneca. Like, yeah, that Jordan Eaton's a frail man. And my, I heard my dad laugh from about 50 yards away, just dying laughing. Now every time they see each other, they talk about how frail I am. But I didn't go to them three girls on that bench and perform any signs. I didn't blow them away with my knowledge of the Bible. But the Lord saw my weakness and through my weakness showed his strength. Sometimes it takes us being vulnerable and admitting our weaknesses for God to show his strength. Paul actually writes of this in a letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 says, Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say. Because of these surpassingly great revelations... Therefore, in order to keep me from coming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." As you know, loving people all the time is not an easy thing. Even, though, even those during Jesus' time found that incredibly difficult. Jesus was asked by a bunch of ruling religious leaders what the most thing, important thing a follower of God could do. And this is what he said, Mark 12, 28-31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus' greatest commandment to us, his servants, was to love God first with all our heart, and secondly, love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus put these in this order because out of a deep and devout love for God, comes a deliberate and defined love for our neighbors. When our focus is on Jesus and his love for us, we can't help but share the love we found to the people around us. After all, we are community church, right? What greater command can there be for us, the church, me, than to love the community around us and to see them the way God sees us? But before we get into love of the community, first let's take a look at how to love God completely. In John 4:19, it says, we love because he first loved us. Understanding just how much God loves us gives us a direct guide into how to love him. Understanding that he does love us and he loves us unconditionally. This means that no matter what your past looks like, 
no matter what your background is, no matter how many times you got it wrong, even the deepest, darkest secrets that you have that you know if the people around you saw, they would slide away. They wouldn't even want to associate with you. God still loves you first knowing all these things. You are still loved by the creator of the universe. God's love for you is never based on performance. And how great news is that, right? Because my, my performance in this life would never be good enough for God's love. People will look at you and base whether you're worthy of their love by what you can do for them, right? A lot of people do. Does it ever feel like people, can only, people only love you when they can benefit from you? But on the other hand, how good does it feel when show, someone shows you love and you know there are absolutely no strings attached? This is how God chose to love us. He already chose to love us. You see, he's not waiting for perfection, rather a relationship with him, which through that you might find perfection. Some of us might be coming in here feeling like we don't belong in God's presence. Or that you're not one of those good church people that have their life all together, has a perfect reputation and a great family history to go with it. I want to let you know right now you're still his child, capable of achieving everything God has for you from right now until he calls you home. His capacity to cover our sins is never ending. His love knows no bounds. Even those of us who just thought, but you don't know what I've done. I can't forgive myself. How could God forgive me? We don't have to stand around and wait for the day when God is going to come down and love us. His love for us. He let me give you some great news. God has never loved you or will ever love you more than he does right now. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that means when he created you, he loved you. Right now, he loves us. When he comes back, he loves us. His love never changes. And we can clearly see this is how Jesus viewed you and I when he said this in John 15, 12 and 14. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. So the greatest love is laying down one's life for one's friend. Is that not exactly what he did for us? His friends. He gave up his life so that through him we might find hope and deliverance. Deliverance from past wounds that weigh us down daily. Sometimes we don't even know that we're carrying these, but these weights because we've never known anything but fear or anxiety or stress or hurt or depression. For me, a lot of times it can be stress. My family can attest to this. If something goes wrong mechanically on one of my engines, which happens all the time, ask Jim Sherman. He single-handedly got my Bronco running. I bought an absolute hunk of metal piece of crap for my first car, and he got it running. But seriously, all of my engines usually end up failing at some point, and it stresses me out. I completely lock down. I don't see anybody or anything around me. I completely disengage. What is that one thing for you? Because let me tell you right now, I can't love anybody when I'm in this mode. All I think about is myself and how can I get through this? How can I make it better? How can I get this right now better? And then I can, I can, then I can start functioning again. But that stuff binds us. And we can love no one when we're in this mode. That's why we need deliverance. We were not made to walk in this. We were made for so much more than ordinary mundane lives. We were made to thrive free of all these things. He gave us his life so that through him we no longer have to go to a priest or a godly man to become, to get deliverance from these things. 
He has become the high priest now interceding on our behalf. Once we not only hear these words but truly start understanding them, that's when, we start, that's when we start to find deliverance and we can actually start being effective in the community around us when it comes to loving them. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How great is this? We no longer have to throw our burdens on a mere human who can say they understand what we're going through, but they truly don't. We now have a high priest, the king himself, Jesus Christ, who has walked this earth, this exact life, been tempted in any, every way so that he can actually relate to us. Through Jesus, we can find deliverance and no longer have to walk with burdens. Sometimes the biggest obstacle that can come between us and God is wholly accepting his love and grace. One of Satan's biggest attack on the current world is letting shame stand in the way of us and our Father. He constantly brings up reasons why we don't deserve to be loved or convinces us that we have strayed too far from the love of Jesus. So when we accept the love that Jesus is offering to us, and we have a direct connection to our Father, free of any barriers or boundaries. We must choose to love Him first every day. Find Him in the quiet place and praise and honor Him for His grace and mercy. Through this, we might gain the capacity to confidently spread love to the community. If our identity does in fact lie in Jesus Christ, we can walk in the confidence that we are following our shepherd's voice wherever He leads us, free of any shame or slander, or the fear of man that Satan loves to twist into the words of others. When we stop caring about how our actions will make us look in the eyes of our peers and start caring more about how they reflect the Father, then we disarm Satan and his misconceptions. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Think of somebody that you really respect, like a mentor. When you know that somebody like this approves of what you do, it makes everybody else's opinions not matter nearly as much. Like for me, I'm super nervous right now, speaking to a room full of grown adults that know way more than me. But if I was to, after the service, go out them doors and my parents would meet me in the back and say, Jordan, man, you did such a great job. You killed it. God was speaking through you. That would make all of y'all's opinions matter just slightly less. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is this. I'm with them way more than I'm with all of y'all. So naturally, they know me more, better than anyone else. So if the people know me best, the people that know me best inside and out approve of what I do, then I have nothing to worry about. You see the connection I'm trying to make? Nobody knows us better than our Father. Nobody. He knows the deepest secrets. He knows the in and outs. So if He knows us and He approves of what we do, we don't have to worry about anybody else. When we can focus on the will of the Father and less on the will of man, through all of this, we give honor back to the Father and return the love he so graciously gifted us all. The importance of love above all other things is echoed through the Bible. And first, well, before I read 1 Corinthians 13, I just want to give some background to it. The ch chapters leading up to this, Paul had been speaking to the church of Corinth on topics concerning spiritual gifts. And in Corinthians 12.12, 12, he starts talking about unity above everything else. 
He had been hearing rumblings about different peoples interpreting some things different ways. So before he went into chapter 13, he wanted to make sure that above all, unity and love stand way higher than anything else in God's eyes. And everything else will fall into place if there is unity and love as building blocks. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest command of these is love. That's some pretty powerful stuff. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and telling everybody everything revolves around love. Calling out church leaders and elders saying, I don't care if you're speaking in tongues or prophesying or making all of heaven's mysteries clear as day. If at the core you're not doing these things out of love, you've done nothing for the kingdom. He even went as far as to say, if you give up your life to be burned, but you didn't do it out of love, you've done nothing. It is so clear what God's main command is for us, his people. We are called to love above everything else. Jesus didn't go to the woman at the well and start performing signs in front of her. But he showed her what love was and how to love. And he showed her the love and peace in his name. So this week, when you see an opportunity to love a neighbor, take it. When you see an opportunity to extend grace to that one person that has been bugging you all week, do it. Because let me tell you right now, God right now is setting up things for us. He just needs us to be faithful. In these moments, he needs us to be faithful to show his love. That person that bugs you or annoys you or anything, there's a reason for that probably. They're wanting your attention. They just need that extra little something from you that God has set up already. He just needs you to be faithful in that one moment. Let's stop focusing on our fear and our anxiety and our stress, for me especially. And start focusing on freedom that through Jesus Christ we can attain if we cast all these things on him. This is the way God had intended for us since the beginning. This is the way we can actively start loving the community. And this is the way that we can love God back. Thank you all.